Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Church, I want you to think about something. When a baby begins to walk, right? A little one begins to walk. It seems like uh, that seems to be the most exciting thing ever in a parent's life, right? When your little one starts to walk. Now, here's why. Because they haven't been trained that once your child walks, you as the parent get much needed exercise. You know what I'm talking about? I think of little baby Jesse, my grandson, um, when, he, when he, was, he would often in our homes would crawl. He would crawl places and Talia longed for that. I wonder when he's going to walk. I wonder when my little Heath is going to walk. And then um, basically she was, she was longing for that until the day he learned to walk. Now, all I can say is there's a difference between boys and girls. Okay? Where my Cordy would walk a few steps and stick around, Bubba, Jesse, just goes everywhere, and he's fearless. And you go, Ben, what does that have to do with our study? Well, nothing. Let's go back to, uh, let's go back to babies walking. Why? Well, see, when babies learn to walk, how do they do it? They learn by holding on to things, right, to keep their balance. You know, they'll stand up at a couch, and they'll kind of take a few steps. But when they really start to walk, what are they holding on to? They're normally holding on to their parents' hands. That's the main thing. That's where they gain their confidence. And after a while, they'll let go and begin to venture out on their own. Well, you know what happens. When they start to learn to walk, their head seems to be heavier than their whole body, and a few steps, and boom, they fall down. Right? You, you know that. But when a baby falls down, when a baby falls down, very quickly, the parents, the hands of the loving parents, swoop down, they pick the baby up, get them on their feet again, stepping out with growing assurance and poise. That's what parents do. And when you think about what we're going to learn today, God, our Father, is actually and wanting to hold our hands to help us walk worthy of the calling in our lives. And I know some of us in this room will fall down, but know this, God is always there to pick us back up, to step out in faith and obedience. Now, think about this. The book of Ephesians breaks down into two natural sections. And that's why we've called this series, Living Stones, Loving God, two Very natural breakdown. You go, how so? Well, now, guys, we've transitioned from being made worthy that we see in chapters 1 to 3, and these really outline what God has done for us and in us. We see that he's given us a new life and that he's given us a brand new family. So now we've transitioned all of that to what? Now to walk worthy in chapters 4 to 6, to walk worthy. Now, if you're taking notes, chapters 4, 5, and 6 really have to do with our response. Our response. You see, we're going to be challenged to the point that God has done these amazing things 
in our lives. Well, how so? Well, if you're taking note, in chapters 4, 5, and 6, jot this down, there are 41 imperatives. 41 imperatives means these are the commands. These are how we should live. You know, Paul doesn't hold any punches when he says, okay, this is how you need to behave. This is how you need to walk. You understand chapters 1 and 3. You go, yeah, I get it. I get it. Chapter 1 and 3. And so he says, now, in these next two chapters, he's going to teach us how we should live. And so, listen, the one thing you're going to get, the one theme you're going to get through all of this is you're going to be challenged to respond after hearing, knowing, experiencing the gospel message. You go, well, Ben, how should we respond? You ready? By the way we live our lives. By the way we live our lives. Now, here's the key. To walk worthy of the calling. But in order to really grasp what Paul wants to teach us today... We have to go back and we have to get a good understanding of chapters 1 through 3. Now, I'm not going to go through all of chapters 1 through 3, but let me give you some things that we can talk about. These are things that God has done for us. These are things. You ready? In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, it says this, Just as God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Here's what God has done. God chose us for Himself before the world was even created. That's a good place for an amen. Amen. God chose you. Way before He even thought of creation, God chose you. You go, yes! Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, here's what God has done for us. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his real. Guys, here's what he's done. He's predestined us to be his children. Come on, church, we got to do better than that. Thank you. Yes, I mean, he's predestined us. You're his kids. How about Ephesians 1 and 7? It says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, hallelujah, according to His riches of His grace. Here's what He said, He sent His only Son to die and thereby atone for my sins. Isn't that great? This is what He's done. He sent His Son so that you and I have the peace of knowing that when we die, we'll be in the presence of heaven with Him. That's what he's done for us. Ephesians 1 and 13 says this, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What has he done for us? Guys, he sealed me with his Holy Spirit forever. Forever. You got the Holy Spirit inside you. I think, guys, that's a great promise. Are you kidding me? Tell me, what did you do to get that? Oh, nothing. Exactly. He loves you so much. He goes, here's my Holy Spirit. Here's my Holy Spirit. Now, keep that in mind. Because, again, think about what he's done. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. But Ephesians 2 and 4 says this. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loves you. Here's what he's done. He's made, uh, made me alive spiritually. Spiritually. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. 
It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Guys, here's what he's done for us. Graciously gave me faith to believe. That's what he's done. You're saved like that way. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. You ready? Here's what's important. God gave you purpose. God gave you purpose. These are things that God has done for us. Not to mention, not to mention how he prays for us. If you remember two weeks ago, Paul prayed for us specifically. How so? He prayed for the inner strength. He prayed for inner strength through the Spirit. That's what I love. That's what I love. Why? Uh, that is so resonated with me because I keep praying for the inner man to be strengthened. Why do I need the inner man strengthened? Because if my spirit and my inner man is strengthened, that's going to keep me away from the vices of the world. You see the vices are going, hey, come on, let's have fun, let's party. I'm going, no, 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 no. No, guys, that's important. That's so important. We've got to strengthen the inner man. We've got to strengthen the inner man. That's what Paul prays for. That's what Paul prays for. Think about this in a spiritual sense. On Friday night, I took my wife out on a date. Yes, I date my wife. And yes, she makes me ask her every week. Been married 35 years, I still have to ask. Don't assume. Okay, so baby, hey, baby, you want to go out on a date? I would love to go out on a date with you. You good-looking hunk. Okay, I added that other part. So I took my wife out on a date, right? We went over to Picoso's. We ran into a a wonderful waitress, wonderful waitress. And this waitress went on to tell us in the course of our date how she, seven years sober. Well, yeah, all right, good job. Sober from what? She said, I used to be a meth addict. She said, she ran into an 18-wheeler, almost her life almost ended, and at that point she said no more, and she was seven years clean at that point. Hold on. But yet there's more. So we said, okay, well, oh, so, so, you know, at the end of, I said, I said, um, how can we pray for you? You know, we, we want to pray for you. And, and she goes, well, pray that, you know, my, my, my home life isn't that great. You see, my husband is still a cocaine addict. And she goes, he'll tell me from time to time, hey, babe, how about, uh, how about you have a wine cooler? And she goes, no, no, I don't want to do that. That'll lead me back to my... So, so here's the point. The Lord spoke to me and he said, listen, she's made a resolve basically physically in her heart. She didn't say God gave me the strength. She just said, I'm not going to do this and I can't be near it or else I'm going to be back where I was. You understand that, right? That was her resolve. She can't, she doesn't mind serving the alcohol wherever, I mean, as a waitress, that's what she does. But she can't be next, she can't. And I'm going, that's the same thing for us, church, spiritually. When we pray for the spirit of the inner man, we go, no, no, no I don't even want to be near that. Because I know what it's going to do. It's going to pull me away from my God. It's going to pull me away. And then we're sitting here praying, God, please keep me from... No, no, no. That's what Paul is saying to us. 
The resolve here is inner strength of Christ. And then he says, not only am I praying for that, I'm praying that Christ would dwell in your hearts. And that word dwell means make home permanently. He lives, he feels at home in your heart. Well, listen, if I'm over here dancing the vida loca with all the world, Christ isn't going to feel at home in my heart. He's going to feel awkward. He's going to feel weird. But I'm going to strengthen the inner man. And so I'm going to be over here going, okay, okay, I love you, Lord. And he's going to go, man, I feel great at home. This is good. This is good. I'm praying for that. I'm praying for every one of you, Paul says, that you would what? That you would have Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. But then he says that you would be, that we pray that you be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. And then he'd pray for our hearts to grasp the greatness of Christ's love. Do you realize how much Christ loves you? You see, God knows our need to be loved and to be accepted. He knows that. And so he made that unconditional. There you go. Do you understand how great that is? You see, oftentimes we try to clean ourselves up. We try to clean ourselves up. Okay, i got to clean myself. Hold on. Hold on, Lord. I'm going to come to you. And God's like, no. While you were yet sinners, Christ said, I love you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die for you. That's amazing. That's amazing. You see, we were in Galveston last week. I was preaching at Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Soph was covering for me here. The night before, we walked out into the pier. Didn't know you had to pay. We just sort of walked out like tourists, like, I don't know. And we walked out, and two kids were like, hey, do you want to see the fish we caught? And we're like, yeah, because we, I mean, this is, this all, I grew up trout fishing, so we had, this is fish. And he opens the cooler, and there's all kind of these weird-looking fish. I mean, big ones, little ones, all this stuff. I was like, wow, that's neat. What are you going to do with those? We're going to take them home and eat them. They're fishing from the goat right there. And you know what I thought? Now, one of those fishes that they caught was already cleaned, ready for the frying pan. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. They were still there. They had to, they caught them, and now they're going to clean them and get them ready for the frying pan. In the same way, Christ's love for you is so that he catches you and then he cleans you. Not the other way around. I have to clean myself up because then God will love me. He goes, no. You can be a stinky, smelly fish. I'll pull you in, and then I'll clean you up. Thank God he doesn't put us in the frying pan. Amen? Amen. I don't taste good fried. Anyways, and, and, then, and then number five, he says that we... Now, listen, you got to catch this, guys. Here's Paul's prayer to you. He says that we would pray that we would be filled with the fullness of God. All of God's attributes in you through how? Through being filled with God's Holy Spirit, His grace and His mercy. These are prayers that we need to pray. God, I need to be filled with the fullness of God, of God. You see, sometimes, church, we'll have this much of God in our lives when He says, I've given you a whole ocean of me. You need to tap into that. No, no, no. I'm, I'm good. I'm good here. I'm, we're not good. He says, here's what I want to pray. I pray that you would get rid of the water bottle and get the whole ocean of who I am. 
That's how you're going to be victorious each and every day. That's how you're going to, you're going to be strengthened in the inner man, and you're going to say, no, I'm, I don't, listen, I'm full of God. What more do I need? What more do I need? Why? Listen, listen. Because most people will go looking to the world's vices. Come on, somebody. Because they feel empty inside. Come on, this is good preaching because this is, this is, I feel empty, so I'm going to go over here. My relationships, uh, drugs, uh, alcohol, I got to have alcohol because I, I, I ought to be the life of the party. And we feel so empty. And God says, no, no, if you're filled with me, that stuff's not even, uh, But it goes deeper than that because these are the things that we always mention. But it goes deeper because it, 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 it actually goes to social media, does it not? So you don't need to post pictures and get how many likes because those are the dopamine hits because you're already full of dopamine of God. You're already there. Like, hey, yeah. Well, I, I can't believe you're ragging on social media. I'm not ragging on that. What I'm saying is pray. Pray that you would be filled. Does everybody know what that word filled means? It means filled to the fullest with the fullness of God. That's what we need to pray for. So he prays for all of that. First three chapters. Now we come to verse 1. Okay? So we were made worthy. Give me a good amen. amen. And now we should walk worthy. Okay? So let me give you four sections we're going to talk about in these six verses. Four sections. Ready? Jot these down. Number one, we're going to see the call to walk worthy. The call to walk worthy. That's in verse 1. Point number two, we're going to see the call to a worthy attitude. A worthy attitude. That's in verse two. The third thing we're going to see in these six verses is the call to unity. The call to unity. That's in verse three. And then what Paul does in verses four through six, he gives us the basis for unity. Once again, the call to walk worthy, the call to a worthy attitude, the call to unity, and the basis for unity. Those are the ones we're going to jump in today. Okay, let's jump into our very first point. Number one, the call to walk worthy. Here's what Paul says. I, comma, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you are called. The very first thing that jumps out at us, church, is a therefore. Why? Because anytime we see a therefore, we need to see what it's there for. And it always reminds us to go back to the next, the, the last verse. But I think Paul is going, no, 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 no. I don't want you to go to the last verse. I want you to go back to the last three chapters. I want to remind you what God has done for you. How his gracious love has encompassed you. How you have the peace of God, the comfort of God, the grace of God. All of these things in your life. And he says, therefore, therefore. Paul reminds us what we've learned prior to chapter 4. It's the basis of godly living. So what does he say? Paul says, listen, first and foremost, the prisoner of the Lord, not the prisoner of Rome. I'm, I'm a prisoner to see that you come to know Jesus. And I think that would be important for us in our walk. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. That we would be prisoners of the Lord. Prisoners of the Lord to win people to Jesus. What's he saying? Here's his, here's his rap. He says, I beseech you. Now, we don't usually use that in today's language, do we? 
Hey, Philip, I beseech you to... No, we don't use that. Like, what are you talking about? Well, here's the Greek word, okay? Because I'm going to sound real theological and real fancy. It's paratikleo, paratikleo. And you go, what does that mean? Well, it's really simple. It's a call near to invite, to encourage, to exhort, to urge, and to pray. That's what Paul is saying. That's the word beseech. To come alongside and say, hey, hey, right? But it's emphatic. It's emphatic. And so what Paul is going, he goes, listen, I'm urging you. I'm encouraging. I'm praying. What, what, what are you praying, Paul? Why are you so emphatic? Why are you? He goes, I'm praying that you would walk worthy of the call that we all have. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm exhorting you to. Now we have to do some work. Why? Because there's two imperative operative words here. Walk worthy. Walk worthy, okay? So what does Paul want us to do? Well, we know he's begging us. We know he's exhorting us. We know he's urging us, but he's wanting us to do something. And the first thing is walk. Okay, I need to walk. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that we should live our lives, or how we should live our lives every single day. This is what he's encouraging us to do. How should you live your life? How should you live your life? Every single day. What do you mean? As believers, church, how should we conduct our lives. How should we behave? Our response to God's blessing in my life is to have a real walk worthy of his call on my life. Now, I'm not talking about the call of ministry, the call of pastor. He's talking about the call of Christianity, you being a believer. That's your call. Every one of us has a call to be a believer, to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. That's the call. That's the call. Okay, I got it. So what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to walk. Walk how? He says, I want you, you need to walk worthy. Worthy. Okay? The Greek in the word, the word is amazing because in the Greek it's axios. And here's what it does. Here's what it do. It gives us a picture of old-time balancing scales. You guys know what I'm talking about. There used to be those old-time balancing scales, okay? And here's what it means. Now, think about this. If I were to bring these scales up here, right? Let's just pretend I'm just this major scale right here, right? And here they are. Here's what Paul is trying to teach us. On one side of the scales, you would have all that God has done for us, Right? This is, this is how the scale would be. Everything that God has done for you and in you and through you is one side. Okay, everybody got that? The other side would be us living our lives in a worthy manner in order to balance the scale. God has done so much, we need to balance the scale. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about trying to earn God's love, nor I'm talking about doing more work so God goes, I'm happy, <laughs> good job. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is you take a good look at your life and say, all that God has done for me, I need to balance the scale. I need to live a life worthy of that scale. And it's really about a balanced, wholesome Life that brings glory to God. You see, the one thing we don't want to do is do this. Okay, Lord, I'm going to tip the scales. I'm going to work 
all that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work. I'm going to work. And then hopefully you'll see my good work and you'll balance the scales. That's not what Paul says. First three chapters, it's over here. He's loved us. He's all, all of the stuff we talked about. He's adopted us. We're his kids. All of this stuff. And we go, oh, because of that, I'm going to do my best to balance the scales. Think about what Paul, in writing to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 27 says. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He says, let your behavior, let it, let it just represent the gospel. Let your conduct be worthy. People go, wow, wow. Truth time? Sometimes our conduct is, ugh, I fight with that all the time. I know how I should behave, but I'm tired. I'm grumpy today. I don't want to do this. And people, no. He says, let your conduct. This is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. He's asking you and I to live based on everything we know. How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to live? To walk worthy. It's an imperative. It's a command. You go, well, Ben, 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 Ben. Okay, okay, listen. I'm, I'm, I know what you're talking about. I want to live a balanced, wholesome life that brings glory to God because when people look at my life, I want them to go, oh, wow, there is a God because I know you. I know how you used to be. Wow, that's amazing. And even, you, you even know, when you're living for the Lord, when you're living and it's just in you and it's radiating and that love and that grace is coming out, you know what people do? They go, wow, I want that. I want that, man. That's so amazing. That's so, whoo, this is so good. Why? Oh, they're just, oh. and 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 because you're living, we're not walking around like theological, you know, just big heads. Well, I'm walking with the Lord, and I'm telling you, you know, we're just living it. We're just living it each and every day. And people look at us and go, wow, why are you different? I really expected you to do this, this, and this, and this, but you didn't. Why? Why? Let me tell you the biggest test that I faced in, in having my conduct worthy of the gospel. It's when they say, hey, your wife is sick and she could die. I could be really mad at God. I could go, Lord, because the world's watching. We just gave you bad news. We, we, just, we, we just almost handed your wife a death sentence. What are you going to do? I want my life to be worthy of the gospel. Why? Because this isn't all there is, church. This isn't all there is. There's, there's a far greater home. There's a far greater home. And you guys remember that story of the little girl who was sleeping at a friend's, right? And... And she just started not feeling well, and she missed her mom, and she wanted to go home. And the little girl's friend said, are you homesick? She goes, I'm not homesick, I'm here sick. And a lot of us are here sick. Why? Because we miss home. We really miss home. But one day, church, listen to me, one day, soon and very soon, it's going to be a reality. We're going to be walking on streets paved with gold. We're going to have this unbelievable peace that you've never felt before. You're going to have joy. And you just, 
I, I don't know. We should just start now. We should just start smiling now. We should, I mean, we should just have joy now. I mean, let's just practice when we get there. Right? Go into 7-Eleven. I'll just be like, that dude is weird. What is wrong with you? Practicing for heaven. Say, what? Come on, church. Come on. You, you know that. Well, Ben, I got a question for you. How? How do we do that? How do we walk worthy? Can I tell you where it starts? It starts with our attitude. It starts with our attitude. Point number two, the call to a worthy attitude. Look at verse two. He says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, in love. Okay, so let me, he, Paul's so good. He, this is how we accomplish a worthy walk. Now, once again, we have been made worthy to walk worthy. But let me give it to you the way the, the New Living Translation puts it. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Because of your love. Okay, let's break it down. First and foremost, our attitude should always match our beliefs. Our attitude should always match our beliefs. That's key. Why? Because you need to take a step. You need to do a self-evaluation. You need to see where your attitude is. Because it should match your belief. You go, yeah, I'm always in a bad mood. I always have a bad attitude. Then you need to check your belief system. You need to check and make sure, hey, am I really saved, God? Am I really filled with your spirit? Is Christ, is, is Christ feel welcome in my heart? I might have to do some work. I may need to repent. I may need to confess some things. Okay, well, what attitude should I have? Well, Paul says this. You ready? Jot this down. Always be humble. Always be humble. He calls it lowliness. Lowliness and humility. To humble yourself, church, listen, means not to be full of yourself. Not to be full of yourself. That's what it means. Okay? But I want to dig a little bit deeper. This is going to go deep, okay? If we're going to preserve the unity in the Spirit, we must possess the necessary Christian attitudes. We've got to have these. We've got to be humble. Humble. It was Warren Wearsby, he writes this, someone said, humility is that grace that when you know you have it, you've lost it. Humility means putting Christ first, others second, and self last. It means knowing ourselves, accepting ourselves, and being ourselves to the glory of God. God does not condemn you when you accept yourselves in your gifts. He just doesn't want us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, or less highly of ourselves than we ought to, unquote. That's Warren Wearsby. He says we need to walk in humility. That's the attitude we need to have. We need to have an attitude of humility. Okay, A worthy walk starts with humility. Humility. And when I think of humility, who, do, who comes to mind besides Paul? Of course, Jesus, doesn't he? Think about Jesus. Here is fully God, fully man, walking on this earth. According to Philippians chapter 2, 7 and 8, notice what it says. It says, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took a humble position of a slave, was born as a human. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God 
and died a criminal's death on the cross. This was God in the flesh. And he came down and he walked in humility. Can you imagine? The whole book of Mark is written as Christ is the servant. Christ serving you. Can you, can you imagine when the lights come on and you go, oh my gosh, this is God. This is God in the flesh. And he looks and he says, hey, take off your shoes. I'm going to wash your feet. No, 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 you're not. No wonder Peter freaked out. Peter's like, you're not going to wash. No, no, no. But he came as a servant to show us how we need to be servants. You've heard the word joy, right? Do you want joy in your life? It's Jesus, others, and you. Jesus, others, and you. That's joy. Unfortunately, we don't have joy. We have yoj. You, others, and Jesus, right? We do. It's so natural. I want to put me first. Guess what? I like me. And I want me to eat. <laughs> I want me to have everything I want. And, 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 and we've got to go, no, no, no. I want to put Jesus. And then I've got to deny the flesh because I've got to put others. And then I'll, that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Think about humility for a second, church. Humility is a huge part of our faith. Can I get an amen? See, you and I can't come to faith in Jesus without humility. We had to break down. Listen, no one comes to faith in Jesus Christ if they think they can save themselves. Nobody comes. No one comes to faith in Jesus if you think, I don't need him, or I'm a self-made man. Guys, listen, you're not coming to faith in Jesus. It's that pride. See, it's pride that keeps people away from coming to Christ. I can do it. I'll pull myself up for my own bootstraps. You see, faith in Jesus, guys, requires you and I to stop and go, I know I'm a sinner. I fall short of the glory of God. I need Him to save me. And that's humility, and it changes everything. It changes everything. So one of our attitudes, he says, is you need to walk in humility. You need to walk. But let's go a little bit deeper. Let's go more deep, Pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's why. Because uh, humility also means you have an awareness of sin. You have an awareness of sin. See, Paul, the primary writer in the New Testament, writes in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. Paul had an awareness of sin. Let me ask you this, church. Do you have an awareness of sin? Yeah, I do, Pastor. Ugh. In Luke chapter 5, verse 8, it says, When Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. The context of that story, if you recall, they had toiled all night, and Jesus looks at him and says, Hey, throw the net on the other side. And they're like, they're like okay. And then they, they caught so many fish. Do you remember that? And he's just like, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But let me give you even a deeper picture of humility. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, it says, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Now you guys know this. One was part of the elite of the elite, a Pharisee, knew all the scripture, and one was a tax collector. He was a worker of Rome. He was an employee of Rome. He was a tax collector. He was hated by everyone. 
The Pharisees stood. Now they went up to the temple and the Pharisees stood and prayed with us. Here's the Pharisees prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And he's probably doing this. You know what I mean? Extortioners. Unjust. Adulterers. And even like this tax collector, Lord. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that prayer? Can you imagine that prayer? Let me tell you what I've done. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. That's what I do for you, Lord. High five, right? <laughs> but, but think about this. The tax collector, standing far off, would not so much raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast. Same prayer. Notice he's praying to God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he said. God, have mercy on me. Here's what Jesus said. I tell you, this man went down to a house justified rather than the other. Why, Lord? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, humility helps us to see we have the awareness of our sin. Lord, forgive me. Lord, You guys know this. You know this. You know this in talking. Sometimes when you just, when you're in the heat of the moment and something comes out, guess what happens? You wish you could reel it back in, don't you? Oh, if I could just rewind. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. There's nothing more sobering in realizing we're sinners saved by grace. You see, because it does something in us. When we walk in humility, then we're quick to forgive others. We have genuine compassion for others. We take responsibility for our lives. Lord, forgive me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Lord, forgive me. I'm broken inside. Lord, help me to walk. And see, your prayer should be, Lord, strengthen the inner man that's in me. Strengthen me, God. Help me to exercise those things. So we need to walk in humility. But he says, but not only that, as a fully devoted follower of Christ, you need to walk in, attitude number two, we should have is gentleness. Gentleness. You need to be gentle. You need to be gentle. Now, I love this word because it doesn't it it, it 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 actually ties in with meekness. It's gentle. Now, guys, men, we don't like to be well, he's gentle. We we want to be tough and masculine and but but here's what it means. It means strength under control. Strength under control. Okay? So you have this strength, but you've got this amazing self-control. And here's the picture that it paints. Like you have this strong horse that could just tear up air. I mean, you've got this brute of a horse that could tear up everything and run fast and hard, but it's under the control of his master. And I think about this. God is calling us to have an attitude of gentleness. We don't have to be forceful. We don't have to be harsh. You see, God made us so worthy... And so he's asking us to what? To exercise self-control. Self-control. How, 
we should be so gentle to each other. Strength, strength under, under control. Oh, oh, praise God. Think about Moses. Moses was a great picture. He was a meek man. The Bible says that Moses was the most humble at the time. Can you imagine? And, and I'm, I gotta be honest with you. I'm, I'm reprimanding Moses, right? Here, here, right? Aaron and Miriam start to complain. Well, God, if don't you talk, talk to me only and you only talk to Moses? All of a sudden, Miriam gets leprosy. And you know what I would have said? Serves you right, girl. <laughs> Come on, you would, do, you would do the same thing. Come on. Not Moses. Moses falls on his face. My Lord. And then, if that's not enough, Korah and the whole camp, he, he raises 250 people. Oh, does God only speak to Moses? Moses got, got, gets in the tabernacle. He says, hey, hey, listen, listen. Uh, Moses, get the people away from the 250. I'm going to kill everybody. And Moses is, and is like, no, Lord, please. No. Now, you and I, we'd be like, kill him, Lord. Let's start over. There are a bunch of complainers and a bunch of losers. I mean, seriously. You know, Dathan and Abiram, psh, kill them. Not Moses. Why? Moses understood. Oh, get this. Moses understood Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Way before it even happened. Lord. 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 This is good. This is good. Think about Jesus. Think about our Jesus, right? Meek and lowly in heart. Man, Lord, we saw some other people casting out demons. We told them to stop. No, don't tell them to stop. Don't tell them to stop. Lord, we've been, we've been doing ministry all day. We're tired. Oh, but he had compassion on the crowd. He said, hey, we, we, let's, let's bring, bring the sick to me. Let's do some more. That's... That's he was gentle. If you're taking note, you gotta jot this down because in the Greek language the word is used for like a soothing medicine. And the only way I could picture this in my is kinda like when you get a bad sunburn and you put on aloe vera, you know, when it's cool and it's nice, you're like, oh, oh, put some more of that on, that feels so good. That's kind of what this word is. It's gentle. It's like, oh, that feels good. You know? Here's what some Christian. Anybody ever get a bad sunburn? Everybody. I think every one of us has ever got a bad sunburn, right? And what's the first thing we? After hard working in the yard, right? You're doing leaves, and you're red, 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 and you go inside and you take a shower, and that water hurts, doesn't it? Oh, oh, oh! It's hot water, and you and you forget. And I think sometimes that's how Christians behave. They're like the hot water on a sunburn instead of being that cool aloe vera ointment. It's also like the cult that has been broken. You guys see those old Western movies? We were talking about movies yesterday. The old Westerns, right? Where they take the horse and, and they'd ride him until they break him. And here's a, here's a wild horse that would just, might as well eat you as far as anything else. And then it's broken and it's such a sweet horse now. Still has the strength, but it's under control. See, in every case, guys, you have power but it's power under control. God is calling us to be gentle. To be gentle. 
Husbands, be gentle with your wives. Be gentle with your wives. We have a tendency to come hard, fast, mean. We have a tendency to be the hot water. Be gentle. They're made different. I don't care what the world says. Women are women and they're made special. They really are. And there's nothing more hurting than when you come hard and you're not gentle and you see the hurt in her eyes. And you can't take that back. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We, we can learn from this, can't we, men? Amen. Be gentle. Be gentle. Well, what other should we have? Well, not only should we have humility, but we should have patience. Patience. The term is long-suffering. The idea is one who suffers long, right? And again, here's the idea, that the patient believer endures it and goes through it. And he stays at it. That's what it means. He lives through the negatives. Guys, God is calling us to have the attitude of of being patient. Of being patient with others. Okay? I really hate to say this, but I don't want us to be a church that's not patient with, with, with... New believers. We're not patient with those that are struggling. You know, this, he's calling us to, to have that, right? To, to live through this stuff. How many times do we have to go, oh my goodness, you're at it again? Oh man, listen, how long have you been walking with Jesus? Oh, for the love. Do you even read your Bible? I mean, are you even... No, no, no. He's calling us to be patient. But he's calling us to be patient with others. He's calling... We should have an attitude of patience. We should have an attitude of patience. You go, well, Ben, how? Well, we can get a great example from Abraham. Can we not? Abraham was a perfect example. Think about Abraham. Abraham, yes, sir? You're going to be a dad. Really? You're going to be the father of a whole nation. Wow, when? Well, not right away. Well, Lord, I'm a hundred. Is that going to happen anytime soon? Right? He's a great one, right? But a, but a worthy walk makes us different than the world. We have to have patience. We have to have patience. Guys, as a church, we need to be patient with each other, walking in humility and gentleness. We should have patience. You go, well, Ben, I don't have patience. <laughs> I don't have patience. Well, pray for patience. You go, "Uh uh-uh. Because if you know anything about the Bible, you know where patience comes from, right? Trials. You want trials? Lord, give me patience. I just need patience. Okay, here's some trial. Kidding, Lord. I'm kidding. I don't want patience. No, we we, we just need to be patient with each other. I think it's a spiritual attribute that you and I can be patient. Listen, listen to me. One day, one day, everybody say one day. We'll all be in heaven and we'll be made perfect. And we won't have to go, oh, how come you're not there? Or we're all going to be, it's going to be great. But today here on earth, oh, Lord, give us patience. Because some of your believers down here, 
What's the fourth attitude we should have? You ready? This is a good one. It says, bearing with one another in love. Bearing. Okay? We need to bear with one another. Guys, since believers belong to the family of God, we have to bear with one another. Here's what I want you to see. Notice it doesn't say, be a bear to one another. (laughs) Ah! What does bearing mean? It means putting up with. Putting up with each other. In love. In love. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. Time out. I got to walk in humility. I got to walk in gentleness. I got to walk with patience, and now I got to put up with you? Are you serious? Yes, because you understand chapters 1 to 3. That's exactly what God has done. He says, listen, in all humility and gentleness and patience, I put up with you, Ben. Say, what? I wasn't that bad. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? You're right, Lord. You're right, Lord. That's the least I can do with my attributes is, do this, is, is just have that same attitude that you have. Bearing with one another. Think about what Paul writes to when he writes to Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 5. Listen to this. He says, Therefore, if any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, of any affection and mercy, he says, Fulfill my joy. How? Being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. Here's what he tells us. You ready, church? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in the lowliness of mind, there it is, the humility, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Guys, think about this. Think about what he's saying. He's saying, guys, listen, you and I should, what, esteem others better than ourselves. You see, when it gets winter time and we decide we're going to help those and we're going to buy a kid, we're going to give a kid a, a jacket. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, and uh, you go into your kid's closet and you take her old jacket and you give it to the kid and you buy her a new jacket. That's not what Christ is saying. He goes, go buy her a new jacket. Put others, put other, esteem others a little bit. It's okay to buy your kid a jacket. He's not saying don't, don't buy your kid a jacket. But you know how we do. Come on, church, you know how we do. We give our old stuff because we buy new. And I think there's something different here where he says, you know what, Joe Mabry needs to give me his golf clubs because mine are old. That's what I think he's saying. <laughs> or maybe buy me some new golf clubs because he needs to esteem others higher than himself. Okay, no? Okay. That, amen. If you all agree, say amen. Nobody did. All right. Thank you. But here's the point. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers. He says, do this in love. Do this in love. So we've been made worthy to walk worthy, right? Humility, this is how we should live. Gentleness, patience, bearing, or putting up with one another. We can do that. Why? Because let me give you the third point. It's the call to unity. It's the call to unity. Look at verse 3. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you have a pencil handy, you can circle that word for endeavoring because it means be eager, make every effort. This is what he's saying. Be eager to what? To keep the unity. Guys, God's called us to be a family. 
He's calling, and we need to make every effort to, to, to be united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together in the Spirit of peace. Here's what God does. It's so amazing. Take a look around at yourself. Everybody's come from different walks of life. We're not all the same. We're not all cookie cutter. I love it. Why? Because the Spirit is what binds us together. The Spirit of unity. And that's what he's saying. And he's using a verb here, to, which means to be, con, to be consistently endeavoring to maintain the unity. In fact, when we think the situation is the best, Satan will move to wreck it. But spiritual unity of a home or a church is the responsibility of each person involved, and the job never ends. It is so important. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. It's like a marriage, okay? It's like a marriage. <sighs> On that day you get married, do you remember? Do you remember your wedding day? Oh, and there you are watching your bride walk down the aisle or, or whatever, you, however you got married, but your heart went pitter-patter, thump-thump-thump, and you told her, oh, baby, I love you. And she says, oh, I love you too. Do you think that love was enough to get through the hard times? You go, no, we love each other. That's exactly it, guys. You also have to work at it. Marriage takes work. And I've heard people say, whoa, 50-50. It's not 50-50. You give 100, she gives 100. It takes work. It takes work. It takes work. And that's what he's saying. Guys, it takes work to, be, to have the unity in the church, to be in the body of Christ. It takes work. You need to understand. You ready? Look at me. This is important. You need to understand that the devil, the Satan, your enemy, is going to work overtime to try to create disunity in the fellowship. Because we're all human. We have to work harder to make sure we have unity. How's that? Forgiveness, love, brokenness, humility. We have to walk. That's just how we have to walk. Well, I can't believe they didn't say hi to me. Don't that? No, you're going to let the devil come in and you're going to let him create a division between you. We have to work really, really hard. You cannot come to church and go, oh, I love you, sister. I'm going to avoid her because I don't like her. We have to work hard. How do we do it? Point number four, the basis for unity. Look at verse four. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is above all, and through you all, and in you all. I don't know if Paul was Texans, he would have said y'all. <laughs> and right? I like it like this. Who is above all and through all and in y'all. That's that's Paul. But Paul uses one seven times. And he gives us seven reasons for the grounding, the grounding for unity. You go, what do you mean? Well, again, thinking and quoting Warren Wiersbe, he says this, many people today attempt, now listen, college kids, to unite Christians in a way that's not biblical. You go, what do you mean? For example, they say, well, we're, we're not interested in doctrine, but love. 
Now, let's forget our doctrines and just love one another. But Paul did not discuss any spiritual unity in the first three chapters, did he? He waited until he laid the doctrinal foundation. While not all Christians agree on some minor matters of the Christian doctrine, they do agree on the foundations of truth in the faith. Unity is built on anything other than Bible truth is standing on a very shaky foundation. Paul names here seven basic spiritual realities that unite true Christians, end quote. This is the basis. He says, listen, we can't just come in here. We've got to have doctrinal foundation. What's the doctrinal foundation? We're all one body. Amen. We're all one body. We all have one spirit. My spirit recognizes your spirit. and Man, we, we have the same spirit. Listen, we're not all on the same, we're not on the same path. We're all on the same path, but we're not all, all in the, we're all in different places in our walks. Can I get an amen? Some of us are a little bit further, some are a little behind, some of us are really struggling. That's okay, but we're still a family. And he says, you got one hope. Where's our hope? Our hope isn't in, our hope is in God. That's one hope. One Lord, the Lord Jesus. One faith. One baptism. He's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have one baptism. One God. And Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Seven reasons why we need to be united in faith. This is the basis. Seven reasons. Now, that's where we're going to leave off today. Now, as we close, once again, understand chapters 1 to 3, we were made worthy to walk worthy. Next week, you can't miss that, okay? Because next week is actually Christmas in March. You go, how so? Because we're going to see that God gives us gifts, guys, to help us walk in unity. Here's the basis, but now we need the gifts. I need, I need his gifts. And so we're all, we're all going to get gifts to help us walk in unity. So as we close... This is how we need to behave so that we can win those that are far from Christ back home. This is how we need to behave. You ready? Be humble in your life. Be humble in your life. Be full of him and not you. Call up a friend and say, hey, are you doing okay? I don't want anything from you. I just want to know that you're doing okay. Be humble in your life. When you're full of him, you'll be sensitive to the needs of others around you. Number two, be gentle. Power under control. How so? Loving people back to life. Loving people back to life. Number three, you ready? Be patient with people. People that are coming to Jesus will try your patience. We need to learn to be patient. Fourth, be ready to put up with family. What do you mean? Bearing with one another in love. That's what family does. That's what family does. You see, in this walk, some of us might stumble. Some of us might fall. It's okay. Because our loving Heavenly Father is going to come, He's going to pick us up, and He's going to go, okay, go ahead, keep walking. 
Keep walking. Just like the little baby we talked about. In faith and obedience. Amen? Lord, you are so gracious to us. Lord, I can't believe, Lord, that you've, again, Lord, 41 imperatives that you've asked us to, to, to live this way. Lord, being humble and gentle and patience and putting up with, that's all a fruit of the Spirit, Lord. And that's why you pray, God, that we would strengthen the inner man. That's why you pray that we would, that Christ would dwell. That's why you pray, Lord, that we would have all the fullness of God in us. Because now you're asking us to walk this way. And it's not natural to us. The flesh wants to do everything. The flesh wants to be prideful. The flesh wants to be harsh. The flesh wants to cut people off. And the flesh doesn't want to put up with anything. But through you, we want to balance the scale. Lord, help us to live a balanced life. We love you, Lord. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I never want to leave a meeting without offering anyone here an invitation to join the family of God. If you're here today and the Lord's been knocking on your heart and you go, man, I've been listening to Pastor and you were saying some things and some lights were coming on, but to be honest with you, Ben, I don't think I have a real relationship with God. I'm not sure. Well, maybe you're here today and you're going, hey, I, I, really need to, I really need to get right. Well, in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. You go, what do you mean? Maybe today you feel like you're far from God. I don't know where you're at. And then God's knocking on your heart. Listen, right now, you're one decision away from coming back to him or coming to him. You're one decision of saying, yes, I am going to do this. This is amazing. You see, because it's not my words, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's wanting to draw you to him. You will, Ben, what if nobody raises their hand? What if nobody gets saved? That's cool, too. I mean, there's, this goes out on the podcast. This goes out on the radio. God will use it for his glory. But while we're here, if you're here today, and again, listen to the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you are not in a right relationship with Jesus, not the relationship you want to be, a genuine, loving relationship with him, then I want you to raise your hand. Well, why do I have to raise my hand? Because I, I want God to see your heart. And by you raising your hand, I can acknowledge you, I can pray for you, and then I can lead you in a prayer, a prayer of recommitment or commitment to God in Jesus Christ. So will you do that for me? If you're here today and you, you're saying, Pastor, I want to be right with God. I, I came here, I don't, I don't understand, but I know God is speaking to me. Will you just lift up your hand right now and I'll pray for you. Let's do this real quick. Is there anyone here? God bless you, my brother. I see you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Listen to the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to you. He's saying, hey, hey, it's time to get right. It's time to get right. It's, it's, let's not play church no more. Let's be the church. And just lift up your hand. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for the hands that were raised. Lord, I thank you that you're amazing and wonderful. <sighs> Lord, we thank you that you're still saving people. And so today, we open up our heart, we invite you inside, and we ask God that you would do an amazing work. If you raised your hand or you're just uh, praying to the Lord right now, we just, we just ask him to forgive you. Say, Lord, forgive me. I've wandered away from you. And I'm, I hear your voice now, and I want to come back to you, Lord. I want to be your child. I want to be in the family of God. Lord, help me too. Um, have all the attributes, God, that we learned today to walk in unity in this church, in your church. 
in the church of Jesus Christ. Forgive me. I follow you, Lord. I'll follow you to the end of the earth. I love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.